If you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to that passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 13 through 18 this morning. And Paul's goal in these verses is, is really very clear. Sometimes pastors struggle to know what the application of a text is supposed to be. Well, there's no struggle here because Paul tells us uh, right up front, he tells us exactly what end he is aiming at. He, he says in verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Why? He says, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So the, the goal clearly stated is that we would not grieve as those who have no hope. Now we need to be clear about what exactly that means because it's, it's possible to misunderstand what, what Paul is saying. It, it's possible to hear him say that the goal is simply that you would not grieve. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul is not a Stoic. He is, he is not an Eastern mystic. He, he does not deny the, the reality of broken Legos. He does not deny the reality that we live in a broken world. He, he even refers to it as a present evil age, an age full of groaning, an age full of brokenness. And to not grieve in a world such as this is simply not realistic. Not to grieve is to deny the world that we live in. And so the goal here, Paul's goal for the Thessalonians, his goal for us this morning is not that we would not grieve. Rather, the goal is that we would not grieve without hope. Grief without hope is, as Sam was saying, it is despair. It is that hopeless sadness. It is that, that hopeless sadness that, that, that is rooted in the false belief that death and destruction have the last word. It is that hopeless sadness that is rooted in the false belief that in the end, light and light and life and beauty and goodness, that they will all be extinguished. And that only darkness will remain. We, we feel that sometimes. But Paul wants us to know and he wants us to live knowing that it is not true. And so if we were going to put it positively, we would say that the goal that Paul has in mind for us this morning is that we would learn to grieve with hope. Yes, we, we acknowledge our present troubles. But even in acknowledging our grief, even in acknowledging our, our troubles, we set our, for our hope firmly on the belief in the, the future blessings, the future life, the life abundant that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just think of Paul's words in, in, 1 Corinthians, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What does Paul say? He says, we do not lose hope. Even though our outer nature is wasting away. I feel that every day. 
I feel that my outer nature is wasting away. My body hurts way more than it did when I was in my 20s. We know what it is to, to have our outer nature wasting away. We know what it is to be surrounded by the slow creep of death. And yet Paul says we do not lose hope, even in the midst of it. Why? Because we have a hope that transcends death. We have a hope that is passed through death into resurrection life so that the trials and the tribulations of this life can only be slight and momentary when compared to the weight of glory that is being prepared for us in Christ Jesus. And that is a hope that all of us need to hear because as we've said already this morning, we all know firsthand, with, with painful acuity, we all know reasons to grieve. Here Paul is talking specifically about the loss of a, of a loved one. Some of us have felt that intensely just this year, just this month. To lose a loved one is, is a great loss, but there are other losses as well that, that we all experience in this life that bring us to grief. Sometimes it's, it's not the loss of life, but the loss of health that we suffer. We, we suffer with an illness, or we, we suffer with an injury that, that keeps us from living the life that we were created for. Maybe it's the loss of a, of a job, or the, the loss of a, of a means of, of providing for our family. Maybe it's the loss of friends. Things were said, things now regretted, but things that have fractured relationships and, and divided friends from one another. Maybe it's the loss of freedoms. We've all felt that. And whether you thought that was reasonable or not, you grieved over it this last year as we were not able to do the things that we were used to doing, the things that we used to consider normal. We have all in this life experience loss. We have all experienced the grief that, that comes with loss. And in that grief, because we are human, because we are weak, we struggle to hope. When we grieve, we can be moved from the hope that is or some of us are more naturally optimistic than others. Some of you hold on to your hope better than, than others. But no matter how optimistic you are, we can all be moved from the hope that is ours by a sudden severe grief or, or by the slow drain of a sustained, unrelenting, low-level grief. Day after day of the brokenness of this world. And so Paul knows that we need encouragement. He, he knows that we need help. If in this life we are going to grieve as people of hope. And so what is it that Paul prescribes? What is his solution? Well, as prosaic as it sounds, we see it right here in these verses. Paul's prescription is information. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says, I want you to, to know something. And, and that in itself is telling, is it not? It, it tells us the, the importance of knowledge. It, it tells us the importance of what we let ourselves believe. This is why we, we are so intentional about teaching here at Trinity. 
Our goal is to equip you to live as people of hope in this fallen world. And to do that, you need information. To do that, you need to learn. To do that, you need to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to, to shape the way that, that you see the world. This is one of the reasons that, that Paul speaks of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. What you believe matters. What you allow your mind to soak in matters. What you allow to, to fill up your thoughts matters. And what Paul is doing here is he is calling upon the Thessalonians to be informed. And in doing so, he is calling us to be informed. If we are going to grieve with hope, then we need to know something. And we see what it is that Paul thinks we need to know. We, we see it there in verse 14. Notice what he says. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. I want you to notice there are actually two parts to that statement. There is the presumption, there is the, the presupposition that Paul is holding, and then there is the implication that Paul wants the Thessalonians to see. First, there is the, the presupposition. The presupposition is simply this. Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He's not arguing for it. He's simply stating it. He is just assuming it. This is the foundation. This is the, the base. Now, that's not to say that there aren't arguments for the resurrection. And you know that we have focused on those in, in past years. We have, we have looked intently at the reasons to believe in, in the resurrection. And Paul actually does that elsewhere. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul speaks about the, the resurrection and he in, in the detail in their belief in the resurrection. He says we have good reason to believe in this. Because when Jesus died and rose again, he appeared to many. And then he starts naming them. He even says that at one point he appeared to 500 at one time. And most of those, he says, are still alive. You can go ask them. You can go and talk to the eyewitnesses. Paul knew that there were good reasons to believe in the resurrection. In fact, this is why when he is speaking before King Agrippa, he says to him, listen... This was not done in a corner. The resurrection was a public event. It is something that you as a reasonable person ought to believe in. He says, I'm not out of my mind. You would be out of your mind not to believe it. Jesus is alive. Jesus rose again. And if you are here this morning and you have questions about that, if you, if you wrestle with uh, believing in a bodily resurrection, if you wrestle to believe that Jesus truly did rise again on that first Easter Sunday, I would love for you to talk to me. Talk to me, talk to Sam, really talk to any of our elders. Schedule a time to get together. I would love to talk with you about the evidence for the resurrection and the implications that it has for your life. But I want you to see this morning that Paul is just assuming it. And that fact, not only does he assume it for himself, but he assumes that the Thessalonians share this belief. He says, we believe this. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that, too, is important. Because it is something that you can assume of a believer. It is something that you can assume of a Christian. To be a Christian is to believe in Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. It is a foundational, non-negotiable, essential belief for any who would be a follower of Christ. Because without the resurrection, 
Christianity simply doesn't make sense. Without the resurrection, Christianity is nothing more than wishful thinking. Paul says it's actually even worse than that. It's actually lying about God because if Christ is not raised, then what we proclaim is a falsehood that leaves us in our sins without hope under the judgment of God. And so we are here this morning celebrating Easter because we, like the Thessalonians, like all believers throughout all the ages, we believe that He is risen. We believe that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And Paul knows that the Thessalonians share that belief. And so he isn't simply trying to get them to, to believe in the resurrection. He knows they already believe in the resurrection. That's not what they need to know. That's not the information. But the information they need if they're going to grieve with hope is rooted in that belief. And that is what we see in the remainder of verse 14. What is the implication of Jesus Christ's resurrection? Well, there are all kinds of implications. There are all kinds of ways we could, we could answer that. Paul says in, in Romans that he was raised for our justification. We, we can speak of all kinds of implications, but the implication that he focuses on here has to do with those who had fallen asleep, those who had died. You see, if you turn back to the very beginning of, of Thessalonians, if you turn back to the very beginning of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is thanking God for the faith of the Thessalonians. And he says there at the end, in, in verse, uh, verses 9 and 10, he says, We know that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Right? You see that in verse 9. You turned from your idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Right? This was the faith of the Thessalonians. They knew that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. They knew that he had ascended to heaven, that he was now seated at the right hand of the Father, and that one day he was coming back to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And they were waiting with eager longing, with eager expectation for that day. They were waiting for the day when Christ would return. But as they waited, the realities of life in this fallen world encroached in upon them. And some in their congregation died. We don't know if they were old, we don't know if they were sick, we don't know the details. But, but some, as they were waiting, fell asleep, to use the euphemism. Some died, and now the, the question was, what's going to become of them? Is their hope in vain? They weren't here to see the kingdom, they weren't here to see Christ return, they, they missed out. Because they were not here when, when Christ rose from the dead. And Paul says to them, no, no. You need to know the truth about those who have fallen asleep in Christ. You need to know the truth about those who died with their hope set on him. And the truth is simply this. The truth is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that those who have believed in him will with him one day be raised. They haven't missed out on anything. They are asleep in Christ. 
And when he returns, they will be raised. This is the, the teaching that Paul begins to elaborate in verses 16 and following. Notice what he says. He says, first, know this. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now reigns. And the day is coming when he will return. When he will return bodily. When he will return to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And notice what Paul says about that in verse 16. He says, when that happens, it will be a public event. You don't have to worry about missing it. You don't have to worry about not keeping up with your Twitter feed because, because maybe something's going to happen that you don't know about. When this happens, it will be a public event. Verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. When Christ returns, it will be a public event. You will not miss it. And when that happens, notice next what he says. When Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise. The power of death will be exposed as defeated. The cords of death will be snapped. Those who have died will rise again, not in people's memories, not in spirit. They will rise bodily. As Jesus rose, so will they rise, so that Paul can go on to say, those who are alive, that is, those who are still alive when Jesus returns, those who are, who are still walking around in their present mortal, weak, uh, dishonored bodies, those who are alive when Jesus returns will be caught up together with those who have risen in Christ. And together they will meet the Lord in the air. And I have to tell you, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what that's going to look like. But this much is clear. This much we don't have to argue about. This much we don't have to, to conjecture about. Those who are alive when Christ returns and those who are resurrected when he returns, they will be together with the Lord. Those who are alive when Christ returns will in no way precede those who have fallen asleep. They will have no advantage. They will have no privilege that we will all be one together in Christ. And from that point on forever, they will be with the Lord in the new heavens, in the new earth, with their new bodies, glorifying and enjoying Him for all eternity as they were created to do. That is our future in Christ. That is our living hope. And while that has obvious implications for those uh, who, who are grieving the loss of a, of a loved one, I want to suggest to you that it has implications for, for all of us as we grieve any loss in this present age. Again, think of Paul's argument in, in 1 Corinthians 14. I mean, I'm sorry, first, or 2 Corinthians 4. The sure and certain hope of, of Jesus' resurrection from the dead means that the trials and the tribulations of this life can only be slight and momentary. Now, again, we have to understand what Paul means by that. What is a slight tribulation? 
Well, it means that the, the troubles you face in this life can't do more than kill you. It doesn't sound slight to us because our perspective is, is so narrow, our perspective is so earthbound. But he says, listen, all it can do is, is kill you, put you in the grave until that day when you will be raised again. It cannot ultimately take your life. It cannot ultimately harm you. And that's why it can only be momentary. Because the troubles that you face can only last a lifetime. They can only last here and now. Eternity with the Lord is your inheritance. Eternity in a kingdom undefiled by sin, imperishable, with an unfading glory that will never cease to satisfy. That is your inheritance in Christ. But it actually is even better than this. It's not just that the trials and the tribulations that we face are, are slight and momentary. That is true enough. There's an even greater blessing. And that is that the, the trials and the tribulations that we face in this life, because of our sure and certain hope in the resurrected Lord, we can be sure that those trials and tribulations will actually be used for our good. It's not just that we have to endure them only for a short time and then finally they're over. It's that they are actually in the hands of our Father who's working our eternal blessing. Think of Jesus' words in the Gospels when he's, when he's uh, counseling his disciples not to be anxious. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. He says, life is more than food and the body is, is more than clothing. What does he mean? He's, he's arguing from the, from the greater to the lesser. Is it not a greater thing that God has given you life than if he had given you food? Is it not a greater thing that he's given you a body than that he's given you clothing? If he's done the greater, we can trust him to do the lesser. It's the same logic that Paul uses in, in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, he says, If God did not spare his own son, but if he gave him for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? See, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the seal upon the demonstration of God's love for his people. God did not spare his son, but, but put him forth as the sacrifice for our sins. God so loved the world that he was willing to ransom us with the precious blood of his son. And the resurrection of the son from the dead through the power of the spirit now guarantees that God will bring the good work which he has begun to completion. He will not fail to work all things together for the good of those who love him. So not only... Can the tribulations and the, the trials that we face in this life not ultimately harm you? But by God's immeasurable power, they will be worked for your good. That is the hope of the resurrection. That is the hope that all of us must cling to in this life. Our suffering will not have the final word. In fact, if we are in Christ, it will have no word. Its intentions will be thwarted because God's purposes for his people will stand. 
That is the hope of the resurrection. That's the information that Paul wants the Thessalonians to know. It's what uh, Sam said earlier when he gave us that assurance of pardon. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have been born again to a living hope. A hope that sustains our joy even in the midst of grief when as necessary we suffer in this life. It doesn't mean we don't grieve. We do grieve. We grieve, but in our grief we rejoice because we know that Jesus is alive. We know that He has risen victorious over sin and death. And we know that through His resurrection, our destiny has been sealed so that now nothing in this world, whether spiritual or, or human, no power can separate us from the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. This is, what the this is what Paul wants the Thessalonians to know. But notice, there's, a, there's actually a third part to his exhortation. Not only does he want them to know this, but he wants them to encourage one another with this hope. So yes, they, they need to know it, and they need to remember it, but they don't need to remember it just for themselves. They need to help one another Remember, that's why God has placed us in community. It's why he has, he has placed us in, in fellowship. There will be those times when you forget what you know. There will be those times when you are blinded by grief, when you are blinded by pain, when you are blinded by, by suffering. And in those moments, you need your brothers and your sisters to come around you and to encourage you with this hope. But of course, that means that there will be times when your brothers and sisters are blinded. <laughs> And when they need you to come around them, and that is how the body of Christ works. That is what Easter is all about. It, it is not just about us remembering. It's not just about us uh, focusing on the hope that is ours. It is about us, plural, together, remembering these things and encouraging these things. This is what it means to, to speak the truth with love into one another's lives, to, to, to remind one another of these truths, not to deny the grief. May we never heal a wound lightly. May we weep with those who, who weep. But as they weep, may we gently come alongside them and remind them of the hope that is theirs even in the midst of their grief. This is what we must do. We must encourage one another with these words. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to speak this truth into, into one another's lives. Be intentional. Plan it. Whether it's a, a phone call or a text or a, or a postcard or a note. Whether it's taking someone out to coffee or, or lunch. I, I don't know all the ways that we can do this. But may we not only cling to the gospel for ourselves, but may we share it with one another even as we share our lives with one another. May we encourage one another with this hope in the coming year. May we be people who live Easter every day and who help one another to do the same so that as we grieve in this fallen world, as we, we face whatever trials and tribulations come, and I don't know what they are, I don't know what this next year holds. 
I know what I want it to hold, but I'm pretty sure that probably won't happen because it never does. But I know that no matter what comes, no matter what new trials and tribulations we face, He is risen. Amen. He is alive. And because He is alive, my hope lives and it is unassailable. It is a hope that cannot be shaken because He sits upon the throne in heaven and the day is coming when He will return to establish that unshakable kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Let us encourage one another with these words. You see, the world wants encouragement, and they even want us to encourage one another. But the comfort that they often, uh, that they offer is hollow, it's empty, it's, it's wishful thinking. Things will be all right. Things will get better. Things will, will take a turn. Our hope is so much more than wishful thinking. Our hope has a body. Our hope has a heart that beats. Our hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And because he lives, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in your goodness. We, we thank you for your grace. The grace that was shown in the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, who ransomed us with, ransomed us with his own precious blood and then secured our eternal life by rising victorious over death. Father, in his life, we will live let us encourage one another with these truths, Father, today and every day, until your Son returns. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.